amazing. So it's a metaphor it all for life, out. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just roll with it. Yeah. You can plan and plan, but at the end of the day, you're just on all fours naked. <laughs> with the water sack dangling. With the water sack dangling. And potentially pooping everywhere. Give you one of these because we've been talking to these for so long. Oh. You know, yeah, this one's inside of those. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so I told you, you guys know I went to the doctor, and I. I thought you didn't have insurance. I picked it up. This oh, year. you don't have it for your kids. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Is there something behind those comments? They have helmets. Is Scott. it an accusation? Have helmets. Well, you know, but they don't wear them. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> That's true. Lisa said there was a video of I had my kids in Brianhead and they were skiing down the skiers. I'm like, you don't need you don't need helmets for skiing. <laughs> yeah, it's snow. But it's the, soft. But the, the my older kids, I'm like, okay, you need you need helmets. I've seen people. I don't snowboarding. I don't know what kind of sport that is, but you, you catch an edge, you go backwards or forward real fast. And plus, they're on the the park where they're. My boy's like sliding on the long rails and stuff. I'm like, you, you get a helmet. <laughs> and I don't even, I don't even know if that would help. Like, because I'm seeing like the snowboard, you can kind of slide off, but then your body will go forward towards whatever you were on the po- the pole, the right. Post. And your helmet's on the top of your head and the back of your head, not the front of your face, which is where you'd have to yeah. like he- like purposely well I don't want to hit my face so <laughs> let's headbutt the <laughs> let's headbutt the the rail the steel railing here anyway save the face yeah everybody made it back on it, time it, safely everybody was safe and sound except I I just ripped my skis off like my this I caught an edge at the very end the bottom I was flying down it was all elated that we did our two days of skiing and uh just caught an edge and ripped my skis right out of my bindings, and uh, my knee immediately blew up. So my knee's still like toast. But we got a softball game today, so it's we got to sacrifice. I'll, I'll play outfield. Did you mention it was Brian Head? Yeah. Okay, just making sure. So you have enough. You want less in your ears? You were. You thought you were turning him up. You were turning me. Oh, up. really? Ralph was dying. <laughs> And I'm going, I'm, I'm going up, up, because <laughs> I, I can't hear anything. So you're number three. You're number four. Well, I'm number two. Identify mm. yourself, strange voice. Who do we have here? Yes, uh, my name is Raphael or Ralph Polendo, and um, I am the uh, co-owner of Choir Publishing, which thanks to you guys, Bros, Bibles, and Beer podcast for having on. Several of our authors on some of your previous episodes really appreciate it. You're that guy? Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> I'm the one who puts out this trash. <laughs> well, Scott will be the judge of that later. Yeah, well, I'm sure Walt Whitman's stuff was considered trash at some point. So. <laughs> oh, and, and we produced the uh, Heretic Happy Hour podcast. So 
Um, Good call. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Little, little All of those everything. hosts we've had on. Yeah, they're good guys. Yeah, Jamal, uh, Matthew, and Keith. Wait, are you you the one behind the scenes running the show? Yep. Yep. Oh, I remember seeing He's you. He's doing this. Yes. Yeah. Mm, hermeneutics. <laughs> <laughs> I should have gotten the heresy. I should have just like copied your file, heresy, because you, you get you, to hit that a yeah, lot. you totally can. It's on the uh, Heretic Happy Hour website. You can download the soundbite. For ringtones? Well, we, we say if you save it on your phone, that way, in case you're ever in an argument with someone, um, just pull that out just at have any a button. point, and it's an automatic win during the during the argument. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. Well, it, so, choir, C-H-O-I. Nope. No. Q-U-I-O-R. Close. Yeah. So How do you spell like, that, Ralph? So, well, yeah, I'll give a little backstory. I'm in a so. spelling bee here, and oh, I wait, failed actually, miserably. Before the backstory, we've got a couple bottles of scotch here, and you renamed our podcast, Ralph. What'd you say it was? Well, my yeah, my suggestion was let's change it to Studs, Scripture, and Scotch, just for this episode, if that's all right. Yeah, the, the I mean, we'll go with Studs. That's obviously a relative, <laughs> a relative term, but... I believe there's my, definitely scotch, and there's Bibles. <laughs> there are Bible apps probably on our phones, so we have that. So are you been Jeff. are you been studded out? Is your wife like renting you out because you're <laughs> <laughs> need to procreate here and sell some dogs? Things have been a little tight lately. <laughs> so you want me to do the honors? <laughs> yeah. Well, do you guys like do you like ice? That's good. Need to procreate here. Ice? Yeah, so the uh, the one bottle there, oh, as we get it, it um, that is cask strength. So unless you want to, you know, grow hair on your back, you that, may want to water it down a little bit because it's sixty and a half percent. Oh, I'm not paying attention. Did you bring this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do have. So that's Ian McLeod's. I think so. McLeod's. McLeod. McLeod's. Yeah. My wife and I took a trip to Scotland. And um, we visited in Edinburgh the Scotch Whiskey Experience. It's the largest private collection of Scotch, and so they have a tasting room, beautiful, where you can try all this, you know, really rare stuff. And I found that bottle because uh, I was on the hunt for stuff that you can't find here in the states. And um, it's not that it's a rare or expensive Scotch, but it's just one that doesn't get um, bottled much. So figured I'd bring it back, but it's it's pretty potent. So you've been warned. All right. Jeff, you have a different one, but this is cask strength Islay single malt. Yeah, Scotch whiskey straight from the cask. Yeah, my I, favorites are the ones that smell like a campfire as soon as you pull the cork off. It does. Yeah. So brings, brings me back to my childhood. <laughs> it, so correct me if I'm wrong. I'm a total noob when it comes to Scotch, but Islay single malt. And then there's Highland. Mm-hmm. Um, any other versions? What's the difference? Do you know? Yeah, there's uh, so there's a few different regions. And that's what they're named after, and each region has its own characteristics. So Isla is where you'll get typically the really smoky scotches, um, and I think it has to do with the peat they use and how much they cheers smoke it. Uh, but yeah, Highland is another area. Um, there's also a small island I think called Jura. Um, I think there's probably like, I don't know, eight or ten different areas in all. And then you have blended scotches, which is like Johnny Walker. So they'll take a little bit of this, take a little bit of that, and mix something together. I just took a whiff. My nasal passages are clear. <laughs> it's good for what it is. Cheers. Yeah, thanks for coming out. Yeah, thanks for having me. To your health. 
So I, I am starting to... Let me take a sip. Mm. Oh, my. See, I don't know how to describe this yet. Mm. I know The word Petey mm-hmm. is on my mind. Mm-hmm. but the, And there's a little bit of... Obviously, this is a strong... It's very strong, so I just poured it. I'm guessing maybe midway through this sip fest, it's going to get really good. Because the edge will come off with the ice a little yeah. bit. Yeah, what they say is um, typically if you're tasting scotches, you want to make kind of a chewing motion in your mouth, which distributes it, I guess, across your palate. And then you usually want to sip a scotch neat the first couple times to get the full strength. Then you add some water, which will kill a little bit of the burn and help accentuate the flavors. So maybe about halfway through, add some water, swirl it, let it dilute a little bit, mm. and then you'll get a lot more of the flavor profile. But the benefit to the ice is that's just going to happen naturally. So right. You are a pro. <laughs> Enthusiast, not a uh, not an expert by any means. Oh, I can't train, get uh, enough. The strange motion is making me hungry. <laughs> Scott is commencing chewing motion. <laughs> He's masticating over there. I, I could use some of this at the top of a, a snowy, cold mountain. Yeah. Boy, my insides are brewing right now. Oh, you, the alcohol, you can just feel it kind of coat, goes around your tongue mm-hmm. and coats your, the inside of your mouth. I don't know about coating, mm. but it's just, it's all in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for bringing that. And Jeff, mm. actually, you poured, courtesy of our good friend Matt Sather. Oh, really? He brought me for my 40th birthday Lagavulin mm. ILA single malt. Scotch whiskey, age 16 years. That's uh, Ron Swanson's favorite scotch right there. It is. Mm-hmm. And I confess, we did have, oh my God. for a while, Ron Swanson by a fire drinking this same scotch <laughs> uh, for a couple hours during the party. Cause That's awesome. <laughs> there's so many people you couldn't hear music or anything. We just had Ron Swanson just to balance things out. Yeah. All right. Well, so is it Ralph or Raphael? I see both. Yeah. My, Which uh, one came first? <laughs> the, well, my legal name is Raphael. Uh, I'm actually a junior. and uh, But all growing up, uh, I guess folks have a hard time pronouncing the name. Um, and R- so, Raf- yeah. Oh, yeah. Like it's, okay. Continue. <laughs> or Ra- Raphael. Ra- Ra- yeah. Or, you know, the, all the Ninja Turtle <laughs> comparisons and all Rafa. that. Rafa. <laughs> but my dad always. I like Donatello better. <laughs> How dare you? My dad always went by Ralph, and so as I was growing up, I was just Ralph Jr. Um, and then it wasn't until I got older and started uh, having kind of side businesses and things like that that I used Raphael to kind of distinguish between professional business stuff and just personal friend stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, usually if I introduce myself to someone for the first time, I'll say Raphael, and then, but for my friends, it's Ralph. Okay, Raphael. <laughs> now, all you guys, are, all you guys you. can call me Ralph. <laughs> Let's go by our uh, given names at birth. Oh. All right, Cornelius. Scott, you'd be Dookie, right? Scott, or Scooter. Scott, oh, my Dookie. God. How dare you? <laughs> I'm going by Jeffrey. Scott already hates himself. You're going you're gonna to give him that complex. Yeah. Well, you hate yourself? What, what was it? Did you say Scott Dookie Dookie? What was it? Scott Dookie Scooter. <laughs> Scott Scooter Dookie. See, he just nodded in approval. Yeah, that's probably appropriate. Right. Something related to poop. <laughs> I got some. I got some poop stories. So, all right, next time you when you're the guest, you got something in 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 line with my six year old. Yeah. So where'd you grow yeah. up? Uh, Southern California. Uh, kind of lived in the same twenty mile radius my whole life. Um, was born in La Mirada, 
Um, yeah, and lived in Whittier. Um, grew up just down the street from Biola University. Uh, moved to La Habra um, during elementary school. Went to Brea High School. Uh, eventually went to Biola for um, to study graphic design and biblical studies, and then um, moved to Orange and been in Orange ever since. Nice. So how how did you grow up? religiously or spiritually what was what was your god card given to you <laughs> well, i was i was the kid that uh grew up in a christian home so both my parents were perfect uh, yeah you know <laughs> oh no sorry that's catholic <laughs> we, yeah we just we just had jesus earlier uh so both my parents came from catholic families and then they were the ones that kind of i guess converted to protestantism um mm. while they were teenagers and so when they met and i was born i was raised within a christian house and at the age of three, um, the church we were going to at the time, I they would have me up on stage to recite memory verses because I, I guess I wasn't afraid of wow. you know reciting verses in front of a big group of people. Obviously, I don't remember it, but yeah, at That's three awesome. years old. So, I mean, from that point, like my both my grandmothers, um, one side of my family's Cuban, the other side's Mexican, and both grandmas thought I was going to be a pastor someday. Like, oh, look at him. You know. And some spicy food. Wow. Yeah. Combined. Delicious <laughs> food. Delicious food. Anybody prophesy over you that get and give you pastorhood to look forward to? <laughs> uh, not at that age. I, I have had some words spoken over me um, later in life. Just maybe not necessarily pastor as the title, but just that sort of role. Mm. Um, or, you know, someone who... Uh, comes alongside or is a teacher, you know, that, that sort of thing. So yeah, I've had that spoken over me. So I, you know, I, I kind of fought the whole pastor thing growing up. Um, and, uh, but was always, you know, a Christian kid raised in the church, eventually started going to a small church that I was helping out. I, it was a person, a church of like 50 or 75 people. And so you wear many hats while you're there. And so I think it was in Starting at the end of high school, I was the youth minister, I was on the praise band, and I was uh, filling in for the pastor when he would go on speaking engagements. I'd give sermons every now and then on the weekends. Wow. Yeah. So definitely steeped in in Christianity from the get-go. And then obviously going to Biola, you have to minor in biblical studies, so you get that whole that whole side of it too. Well, what was... Okay, so you go to Biola, mm-hmm. and going in, did you have a general... Were there any like sh- system shocks le- that you learned right away, or is it kind of like in line with where you were at? No, it was all. It, I mean, there was nothing that shocked my system really at that point. Biola was just like the logical extension, and since I grew up in that area, um, it was. I don't know. It just kind of felt like home going there, um, and so didn't you know? There's nothing particularly revelatory while I was there. Although one hermeneutics class I was taking. Um, one of the professors opened me up to the idea that uh, we could be understanding Scripture incorrectly uh, compared to how we were raised on it. And that, that was kind of the first thing. It was like, wait, what? And no, so he, but I, I'm reading the Bible, Professor. <laughs> I see the words. Right? So he, he had this phrase, he called them bubble-bursting moments, where he would read a familiar passage of Scripture and say, you know, you've probably heard it preached this way or this this way and then you have heard it said exactly and then he would break down you know the context the genre the audience all this stuff to really bring out fuller meaning and sometimes the meaning ended up being the polar opposite or just significantly different from what you were raised thinking and so i think that at that point i was like oh man what else what else is there that is like this you know um so that was kind of the first eye-opening moment but again it was still within a very conservative evangelical framework 
So there wasn't anything uh, massively radical. It was just, it was kind of like just rearranging furniture, if that mm. makes sense. Do you remember an example of one of those? Uh, yeah, I mean, one that comes to mind is in Revelation, um, when it says, because you're neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Uh, and he was breaking down the the geography that uh, the church, I could get these details wrong, it's been a while, but the church in Colossae had natural uh, cold water. Um, the church in Hierapolis had natural hot water. The only reason I can remember that is because C, cold, H, hot. But I guess uh, both of it's those, convenient. yeah, both of those aqueducts uh, were fed into, uh, I think Laodicea is the church that Jesus is critiquing. And so they had these, both these natural water aqueducts flowing in. And what would happen is uh, there would be runoff points where the two would mix and it would become lukewarm. And so the way you typically hear that passage is, well, Jesus doesn't want any lukewarm Christians. And that's not really what the passage is saying, because why would he say, I'd rather you be hot or cold? Why would Jesus want any of us to be cold in terms of passion for him? And so the point he was making that hot water serves a purpose, cold water serves a purpose, but lukewarm water is just kind of gross. And moist. And moist. Right, Scott? And passive. But there's potentiality for moisture. (laughs) 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 Forecast. So the point he was making with that passage was uh, Jesus wasn't talking about passion. Uh, he was really talking more about purpose. That passage in particular freaked me out a lot. Were you, were you lukewarm? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I definitely wasn't hot. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't be freaked out. I'd be like, yeah, bitches. Follow my example. But now that's Jeff. Shots fired. Are you hot? Super hot. <laughs> you're hot because you're hot. <laughs> That's why this is called the stud scripting <laughs> scotch. <laughs> All right, so where where were we? I, I love those moments. I ask you where were we, and then I start talking again. Sorry about that. I'm just going to do that. <laughs> it's the scotch. Um, those moments where you, you learn something, it, there's just there's so much written, richness in, sure. in Scripture in a way that, you know, I, I went through the deconstruction period where you just want to throw everything out and like almost not even start over Hmm. because it just feels stupid. But you know, if you, if you get through that and really dig in below the surface, Hmm. uh, all, a lot of my stuff was just like surface level understanding of scripture. And and there's so much more to it than that. And that's one of them that I I think I read it in N.T. Wright. He had a version of that Hmm. and that was like face melting. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's one thing I'm still passionate about when it comes to scripture is, you know, you can dig at it and dig at it and always uncover something new and fresh. And there's different ways of approaching it. And, um, you know, you can deal with the meta narrative, you can dial into just the details, you can, you know, hang everything on a single word in the Greek. It's, it's just phenomenal. I think there's no other book like it out there. Um, and it's, I don't know, I, I still find it exciting in that respect. I think, um, uh, for me personally, there was a period where I was just dealing with Scripture too clinically um, and only approaching it from a study perspective. And so you mm-hmm. tend to lose some of the romance of interacting with the text. Um, but, you know, I think eventually, hopefully you can come back around to where you can appreciate both both perspectives. Yeah. Rob Bell, I don't, it's, I don't think it's Rob Bell's, but he uses it a lot when he talks about Scripture being the diamond. Mm-hmm. And as you mm-hmm. turn it in the light catches the different angles and it just shines differently totally in just like innumerable ways and i think that's that's a tradition we've lost from our jewish brothers 
um, there's that old joke, if you ask three rabbis their interpretation, you'll get four answers. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, they're, they're constantly willing to re-examine and throw out different ideas and, you know, wrestle with the text. So they treat it more as a conversation and less as, you know, a, a static um, thing. That's what I've become most fascinated about, is just listening to how people, not so much pick apart the Bible, but discuss it and discuss from their perspective and mm-hmm. some of its very black and white some of it's you know they're wrestling with their own hermeneutic mm-hmm. and and where to go from there and it's just a constant um conversation and more sometimes morphing into you know something new and good and but ultimately i think use the word purpose purpose is finding you know purpose within the bible and and within the life of Christ is, you know, I, I need to, I need to know that I'm moving mm. in the right direction, and it's with it's with God, and that just listening to Scott and Zach go back and forth, or yourself right now, or just listening to other people and and reading um, opinions on, you know, uh, just one little verse yeah, yeah. that just is you could talk about for a lifetime and then some for sure that's fascinating to me and there's definitely a beauty to approaching scripture as community um and giving you know people a chance to express insights that they're getting from it and talking and instead of you know we've we've created this fascination with the whole um you know morning devotional quiet time i need to lock myself in a room just me and jesus and and the bible yeah and and you know that's that there's you know there's nothing wrong with that but i think by and large we've turned scripture into something that is just an individualistic uh approach or we we relegate it to something that we only receive from a single teacher um you know whether it's your pastor on sunday morning whatever. and we've kind of lost this community hermeneutic of you know really uh working things out in scripture as a group bouncing ideas off each other hearing other people's perspectives cuz as paul says you know if we really believe that we collectively have the mind of Christ, then the more that we can assemble and, you know, discuss and debate and wrestle through some of this stuff, I think the closer we would get to the intent behind it. Yeah. Go ahead. You go ahead. No? No. Okay. <laughs> look, how, look how intense you were. No. I uh, was just thinking back to... That's great. I will talk. Okay. You mentioned community and just having these ongoing conversations. It always comes back to, for me, the application to life. And the more discussions you have about the Bible, the more we sit and do podcasts about this and talk with people, mm-hmm. the more we end up talking about life and the more we gain just trusting one another and with our lives and sometimes our, our dirty little, little secrets that you know can eat us from the inside out. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, t- I'm talking about my uh, lead foot when I'm on the freeway. It's just Mine's a ter- not terrible, detachable. <laughs> terrible. I'm sitting ag- against the government, speeding all over the place. It's terrible. With your out-of-state <clears throat> license plate. Yeah. Oh. Okay, let's just keep it going. Who are you representing? Right. South Dakota. Oh, boy. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Yeah, Jeff. Anyway. Jeff will off, Jeff's the good good one to be like, 
when we're Scott and I will be stuck in a loop. It's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. How does this apply to your life? How's this changing how you're living? <laughs> Which is, I need, I need that because I definitely, I really enjoy like getting into what it means or what it could mean or maybe questioning what I thought it meant and for good at forgetting like, okay, this, a lot of this doesn't actually matter. It mm. does and it doesn't. I'm sure Scott, you would kind of agree. You haven't really talked. Do you have your rubber bands in on your braces? No. I okay. took them out okay. preemptively. They might still be on your keyboard over there. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> you know what happened to them? <laughs> Set them on your pillow. So yeah. Sanitary spot. Yeah. We talked to Dan Koch our last episode and from Depolarized Podcast. I don't know if you've heard of them. He's He was in the band. Um, oh, my gosh. I'm blanking. I'll insert it. Um, Pacific Gold was one of them. A couple of indie-ish hmm. Christianish bands. It's Sherwood. Um, the band's name is up. Sherwood. Was Sherwood? Maybe will be Sherwood again. But the band is Sherwood. I don't remember one of them. Anyways, got a bunch of good, uh, three different good podcasts. And the first Scott waited about fifteen minutes into our conversation to open his mouth. And when he did, it was <laughs> not that bad. He's like, "Hold on, let me take my my rubber band out." <laughs> <laughs> And then it was so clear after that. Anyways. <laughs> no, Raphael, when you're laughing, please laugh into the mic so Scott oh, can really gotcha, feel the gotcha. force of <laughs> yeah. the, the embarrassment that you're showing him. All right, thanks. All right. Well, we appreciate you taking your rubber bands out, Dookie. Hey, hey, no problem. Hey, my friends call me Scooter. Okay, Dookie. Scooter, Dookie. <laughs> All right, so where were we? You Talking about Paul? Uh, yeah. We weren't to the publishing yet. Um, you're in college. I, I know you've changed from the more conservative side. I don't know what you would call yourself now. If somebody asked you, are you one of them Christians? How would, <laughs> how would you respond to that? Because people always ask that all the time. Yeah. Uh, well, so I'll, I'll give you a funny side story to that. I uh, was asked by my cousin to perform his wedding, and... Uh, I looked online to figure what's the quickest, easiest way to get ordained. And this was several years ago. And I found this website, uh, I think it was called St. Luke's Evangelical Church or something like that, where you fill out a statement of faith, they'll ordain you online, and you can perform weddings. state of California is fairly lax in terms of their ordination requirements. So I filled it out, did it, um, got certified. And this is when I was still part of um, you know, conservative church culture. Um, I had graduated Biola, but was still in that environment. And so... Had my ordination now, did the wedding, and in line at the reception, and this little old lady comes up behind me. I think she was from the bride's family because I didn't recognize her. And she goes, oh, that that sermon was so lovely. It was a beautiful message. You're not one of those fake internet pastors, are you? (laughs) 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 I had my brother behind me just elbowing me in the back. (laughs) She's like, what church do you teach at? So I kind of fumbled through an answer that, you know. Kind of, kind of answered, but without giving away that I, yes, I was one of those fake internet pastors. You know, you and I, we are the church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I just kind of, kind of sidestepped the question. So, yeah, um, that's funny. So, I'm not one of those fake internet Christians. Did they uh, give you a script? <laughs> script to? Hey, you no, know, you could print out a little, uh, little uh, daily beloved. And, yeah, yeah, marriage brings us to. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I 
think if someone were to ask me, I still personally, I, I still like claiming the title Christian because I'm of the mindset that... Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to mention fake internet. No. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Because I know that, I mean, there's, there tends to be two schools of thought when it comes to folks who have deconstructed in the faith. And one is either, I no longer identify as a Christian, I'd rather be known as Jesus follower, or this or that, because there's too much baggage associated with it. Mm-hmm. The other side, which is what I still tend to lean towards, is I'd rather work to reclaim the title. Like and it. And fight against some of the negative stereotypes that are out there. Not to say one approach is better than the other, um, but for me, that's just what I identify as, as that's more true to me. So I'd rather say, yeah, I'm a Christian, and I would hope that, what you see in me looks different maybe mm-hmm. than what you've been hurt by in the past. Right. So, Yeah. Are we thinking like, well, what do you mean by Christian? That I think that, that's what I would think I would ask. Do we all I'm, have that in the back of our head? Like when someone, if somebody asks us, mm. are you a Christian? Yeah. And, how, how would you three answer? I, I think I would start, if it was that direct, what do you I'd mean? Be like, what do you, what does a Christian mean to you? Because depending on, what you say, I'm, I might say no. Hmm. And I, I'm sympathetic to what you're saying, Ralph, about um, taking it back. Like, I, I like that idea. But, like, my wife will mention, she doesn't wear the fact that we're involved with church on her sleeve, mm-hmm. but she's not shy about if, if neighbors or somebody are talking and, you know, or, oh, what, what, what are you guys doing today? You know, she'll mention church and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, even then, I'm like, ah, oh, man, we're trying to get to know these people. I don't want them to think of their version of what church goer is like, and then apply that stereotype to to us yeah. before they've gotten to know us. Yeah, that's fair. I'm probably thinking too much, but that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. Because if they mention, you know, something that Jerry Falwell Jr. was talking about that pissed them off when he was defending Trump or how whatever, I'm like, well, that's not really what being a Christian means to me so and then mm. conversation could go from there jeff scott well yeah, yeah it'd be difficult to uh to disassociate yourself from every type of uh, christian hey are you a christian uh, <laughs> are you um, one of those jesus freaks well i mean not you know you know only the ones you know that get it right that's how you <laughs> would shut answer up, it scott. That's no, you, shut, you, up, scott. Would, <laughs> shut up scott if scott. you're concerned if you're concerned about um not being associated with those who are messing it up, then you could preempt it by saying, uh, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. Oh. What does that mean to you, Scott? Well, and that's what you would, you can go into. But that would be... Okay. Would that, that seems odd. I'm a follower of Christ. What does that mean? That's what Christian means. Thanks, thanks Zach. That's, that's what does what, that mean? That's what, the word, that's what Christian... Is, but like, is like that? A, do you live a certain way, or like, I see Joel, this guy Joel Steen on TV, and it seems like life is like amazing. And God just does things for you. Like, is that like what you think life is like? He goes by Joel Steen now. <laughs> <laughs> He's his own power couple. Uh, Why well, I, I would? Are you becoming a better you, Scott? I well, I don't. I don't listen to Joel Steen. Who? Who? Well, isn't that Joel Steen? Like, Thank sorry? you. I thought that was what Christianity was. Like, no, I th- I think there's a everybody lives he, in Texas and is happy. I think he distorts things uh, to a certain degree, and I so I, I have no desire to listen to him at all. So ever okay, I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm just playing Joe. Schmo. And I hate his smile. <clears throat> okay, uh, I'm just playing Joe. And Schmo he doesn't have street. eyelashes. It's so, weird. <laughs> <laughs> really? 
You looked that close? Yes. Like, pause. I, I was trying to think, like, okay, something about... I'm not thinking of his teaching up. or anything. I'm not judging who he is but based on how he looks. However, there's something off-putting about him, and I noticed... No eyelashes. I can't believe. Yeah, I can't believe. Well, I didn't mean so, to bring up Joel Steen. Yeah, I'm not um, Joel Steen. I, I don't belong to a denomination. Okay. Um, although I'm not opposed to denominations, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm go to an independent. Do you live a certain way? Like, is there like the I follow Christ? I'm a follower of Christ. What is that? Well, if somebody asks if you're a Christian, you probably don't have a problem saying yeah. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Jeff? Well, I don't have baggage of trying to yeah. necessarily disassociate myself from, right. from the others who uh, do do bad things or who distort in you know, in your view who who distort things. It's not. I don't think that's the purpose of the question. Mm, uh, right. So uh, I I would err on the side of I'm not going to deny that I'm a Christian. Right. No, right. I'm not, not going <clears> to <throat> deny that I'm a follower of Christ. So I, I that's what that's what I would err. Yeah. On and I, I much more courageous than Peter. I definitely. Oh God, I identify with Peter for sure. In my my uh, nine part of the enneagram, I like instantly think, okay, I need I need to give them what will help me merge with where they're at, so they identify with me, so we can get a connection. And so instantly, I'm thinking too much. You're about, strategizing, I'm assuming, and and then it ends up a jumbled jumbled mess. So you just have this like blank stare on your face, K- kind of. The Inside, question. there's a lot going on, yeah. but they're like, "Are you going to answer?" <laughs> no, no. If they ask me if I'm spiritual or or religious, then I I definitely would say, "Well, I don't know about that. spiritual. Definitely about religious. That. That's a question uh, I've got." But I'm a Christian. I would I would. I would just make the distinction between right, those Jeff, two and what, Christianity. I like that. What about you, Jeff? You haven't answered yet. Are you a Christian? Would you call yourself a Christian? What are you, one of them Christians? <laughs> what do you mean by that? Oh, well, that's a problem I have. I like to play with people a little yeah. bit, but that's how I kind of create the connection. Mm-hmm. So, then see all like, these well, Christians and they're just hypocrites, you know? They follow up with, "Well, are you religious?" And I'm like, "Okay, I am. I I am a follower of Christ." But the thing with Christ is Christ wasn't about religion and you're probably a no creed but christ dude so <laughs> well, see, it depends on what? it depends on how you define a religion too because they, they they could have a different idea of what that is but we get into the conversation that's yeah. the big thing right now i'm defining religion as ian mcleod's as we get it <laughs> cask strength <laughs> scotch whiskey he's feeling the warm spirit inside <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Lowercase spirit. Where did, right. Oh, there's Raphael. There he is. <laughs> hey, hey guys, I'm still here. Welcome <laughs> back. <laughs> Please forgive us for that, and feel free to. You're at this point. You're kind of okay. One so of you're the in. Dudes. So we're you're in elementary school. So continue. Yeah. So <laughs> we're I was at born. A, uh, we're at a Biola. Then, uh, yeah. So Biola um, got married right out of college, um, and was going to uh, uh, Rock Harbor. Uh, for a while, which is a local local large church. Got super involved there. I was part of the Uganda ministry, so I got to go to Uganda a few times and help out with kind of the invisible children type situation that was going on there, um, which was, that was a really powerful experience. Um, got connected in leadership there and, again, started being trained for teaching, uh, teaching pastor role. And right around that time, I discovered this book. I still, to this day, don't know why I got it, but it was called Pagan Christianity, and uh is that frank viola it is yeah 
So I was a fan of reading challenging stuff because I just always felt like, you know, um, truth is truth and you don't need to be afraid of reading something outside of, you know, your tradition or whatever. And if it's true, it's God's. That's true. So, um, so I read the book just out of curiosity and after I read it, I was just destroyed, wrecked. Um, if you're not familiar with it, the book basically dismantles our understanding of what the modern church is and shows how most of what we do and consider as normative for the modern church doesn't have roots in scripture and was co-opted throughout the years from different pagan religions or um, things like that. So by definition, is is that wrong, or is it how we use it? Good question. By definition, is not wrong. Because, I mean, chairs were invented by pagans. But uh, his point is that the things that we have um, taken Scott just on, got out of his chair. <laughs> yeah. This damn pagan chair. Take those, ring, take those wedding rings off while you're at it. That's right. And uh, the, the, the point he makes is that they've actually been, a uh, not a development, but a departure from what the New Testament envisions the church body to be. And so that book just kind of wrecked me. Um, and it's, it's purely deconstructive. The book even says, so don't, don't read this looking for answers. The author had follow-up books since then that were on more on the constructive side, but this book was just to kind of level, level the house so you could build anew. So what was difficult about this was the book had just come out. I read it in isolation. Uh, I wasn't disgruntled with the church. I wasn't frustrated Nothing like that. But the rug was pulled out from under me. I had no one to process this with because no one was in the same kind of space that I was in. Um, tried to get people to read it, but they were, you know, too threatened by it. And so I just kind of sat in this like, well. So you did reach out? I reached out to, yeah, some some friends of mine. and um, But again, at that time, because I was friends with so many leaders within church, it's difficult to read something that kind of calls into question your calling and your way of lo- Your way of life. Yeah. Did people Making know this about money. you? Did they know that you you were kind of having a moment in life? Uh, and did they well, put a perimeter around you yeah. and keep you away? <laughs> no, no. Thankfully, not that. But I will say my mistake was that I I didn't allow people to be where they were at, and I mm. quickly became an evangelist for pagan Christianity, um, which is the wrong thing to do. If someone is not you know questioning or or wrestling with or unhappy with where they're at, um, you don't need to strong arm them and to read this book. It'll expose everything. So mm. that was a mistake on my part. And Isn't it, it fascinating? It, you can go from one f- a version of fundamentalism to oh, another. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It takes on many colors. So I, I burned several friendships, and you know that was, oh, that was a bummer. Um, but, I mean, it, my intention was good, because it was like I found... Right. I felt like I was unplugged from the Matrix, and I wanted to share that with mm. the people I cared about the most. And so it was frustrating and difficult when that wasn't received. So, um, yeah, so that was, a, that was a tough time. And so I kind of felt a little bit in the desert where this thing that I grew up in and understood structurally, I no longer had faith in the structure. Um, still, you know, believed in Christ, um, still 100% Christian, still fairly conservative at this point. But just, and you're married um, at the time? So I'm, I'm married at the time, yeah. And so, um, was there any, um, you share this with your wife and uh, was there some struggle with our conversations? There? Yeah. Yeah. Started to, to process with her at the time a little bit. Um, but also around that same time, uh, unfortunately our marriage was falling apart. So was going through a divorce around that same time that was going through this like deconstruction in church. Wow. Um, and so it was just, it was just brutal all around. Um, and I know you mentioned prophecy earlier. I had a friend who had 
prophesied around that time, like, oh, you know, I see you as this tree, but the storm comes and it gets stripped down to the roots and all the leaves are gone and it's just like down to the essence. But, you know, given time, spring comes and it comes alive again. It's like, oh, well, thanks, dude. And so sure enough, that that Did they help you life, at the time? Well, at the time, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about, but okay, cool. Mm. And then once all this hit, it was just a perfect storm of like, you know, theology and ecclesiology starts crumbling, um, relationships around church start crumbling, marriage is falling apart, all this stuff is just, everything just kind of getting stripped away. And uh, feeling like, you know, kind of in the desert, like a nomad, don't know where to go, what what to believe, and so slowly started reconstructing and um, rebuilding and understanding what I believe and why I believe it. And so uh, that happened um, several years ago. And so I had started on this journey of looking into what's called organic church, which is basically um, a rejection of the institutional model and trying to return to a house church, simple church kind of vibe where there's no hierarchical leadership. Um, You know, people, uh, there's a, a plurality of, of ministry that goes on where everyone's sharing in the ministry. There's no one person, you know, leading the show. Um, everyone's functioning as brothers and sisters and one another's and stuff. So getting plugged into that scene and understanding that more, that's really the genesis of choir because I've been a graphic designer for almost 20 years now and I had helped several authors, um, years ago, self-publish. Are you still doing that? The choir thing? No, the oh. uh, graphics design. Graphics oh, thing. yeah, yeah. Do you have a, a website you want to plug right now? Uh, not really. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, appreciate it, though. No, I, I just because I, I don't really have time to take on additional projects. So right. I have a full-time job uh, still and choir. Hashtag side, blessed. So, hashtag blessed. So, um, yeah, so being a designer, uh, helping people self-publish, and then getting plugged in with this organic church community – um, there was several authors that I was friends with who at the time were self-publishing and they had great content, but because they were self-publishing, you know, their covers weren't that good. Mm-hmm. The layout was abysmal. And just knowing that people do judge a book by its cover, mm. realizing, well, if we started a publishing company where we take care of the design and marketing and all the stuff that authors don't want to think about, and they provide this great underground content that I think was speaking to um, kind of the subculture that was growing within Christianity, we might have something here. And being able to kind of subvert the traditional publishing model where publisher gets the majority of the royalties, the author gets pennies, and yet the author is still expected to do most of the marketing. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was a terrible model. So anyway, all this all this went into the recipe for choir, and so we launched a few years ago um, and been going, growing steadily since. But it's been fun to kind of get involved in this process where we call ourselves a boutique publisher um, because because we're so invested in the books that come out. We want to make sure that we're curating and hand-selecting what we publish. It's not to say we agree 100% with everything we publish, but we feel like it's at least a conversation Ooh. that needs... Good, man. <laughs> Some of the stuff that those Heretic Happy Hour people produce. Wow. Hi, Welcome Scott. back, Scott. <laughs> Scott just woke up. <laughs> Scott just had a dookie. <laughs> I have a question related to that, Scott, but keep going. Yes, yeah, so all that to say is it it just means that we think it's a conversation worth having and so, worth having in the marketplace. How does that how does that happen? I mean, you start choir, you I mean, how do you even market how did you market that and how did you I mean, 
could you explain that a little bit? How many books have been published through Choir? Uh, yeah, how many books? That was like five questions. <laughs> All good ones. Though. I don't remember anything. <laughs> uh, I can't remember off the top of my head how many books we've published. I know we have about 10,000 books in print that have been sold uh, to date, okay. which is exciting. Um, we've got about 20 authors right now, which are authors that we've already published or that are currently under contract. Um, actual books, I think we have maybe 10 full-length books that are out right now in print, Kindle, audiobook, um, and then a bunch more that are coming out this year. So uh, it really started with um, with a single book. We made a connection with an author who was previously published through David C. Cook. Um, didn't really have a great experience with that. Wanted to release her novel and wanted to take a chance with us. And so the first book we came out with is called All I Once Held. Excellent novel. Um, and so we just did our best to put the book together, put together some marketing for it, even though we were fairly unknown. Um, grateful to Galen, um, that's her name, for taking a chance on us. And that really just kickstarted things. And um, from there, our next book was with Jamal Javanji, uh, who I was friends with through Organic Church Circle. So he and I knew each other. And there's some interesting backstory with his book. But that one came. And then I think Jamal... Free to love. Yeah, free yeah. to love. Hashtag free to love. <laughs> and then Jamal led us to Matt DiStefano. And it's funny because every new author we bring on, they just kind of expand our network. Yeah. And so they'll either reach out to other authors or other authors who know them will ask, hey, what's this deal with choir? So it's just organically grown. Um, and there's been a few times where we've practically reached out to a particular author who, you know, we'd love to work with, but more often than not, it's folks coming to us just because they've seen other work we've done or they're starting to hear this name or, and so hopefully developing a reputation for, you know, Christian books that aren't afraid to push, you know, people out of their comfort zones a little bit, but are still quality products. Nice. Isn't your tagline, uh, one Christ, one Jesus, many voices, something like that. What is it? <laughs> nope. It's many, not. many voices, one message. That's okay. If I were to, if you were to let me finish, I would have gotten there. Many voices, one message. Mm-hmm. Now the the one message. A lot of a lot of your Christian, a lot of your your books m- would be described as progressive Christianity or things that are kind of pushing it mm-hmm. on, depending on the issue the book is talking about. Would you? Is, is publishing somebody who's on the more conservative end a thing that's going to happen? I mean, I so Keith Giles, I know, depending on the, the issue you're talking about, right. is a conservative guy. Right. Um, I some of the other guys, like I've got to know a little bit. Matthew, it's like he doesn't he's <laughs> he, he's pushing the envelope. I, lo- I love that, by the way. Yeah. But it is a con- a book that's centered around more a more conservative reading of something or a, a conservative take. Is that something you would publish? As part of the many voices? Yeah, I'd say, honestly, right now, we probably have three somewhat conservative authors. Um, So John Zenz um, is still fairly conservative, in my understanding, of his theology. Um, So he's an organic church guy, but that's that's kind of his sphere. But I think in terms of a lot of other areas in theology, he's still fairly conservative. Um, Heather Kendall, we published her book called One Greater Than Moses, History of New Covenant Theology. Mm. I'd say she's still fairly conservative. And then Walt Russell, who was actually a professor at Biola um, at the Talbot Seminary. Um, his book was called Sustainable Church, where, again, he was kind of questioning some of the institutional church model, but I think he's still fairly conservative in his his theology, uh, at least conservative compared to De Stefano or, you know, Jamal, 
who's yeah. <laughs> out in left field, but we love Jamal. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> Every time somebody that knows him is on, there he comes up a little bit where it's like, the first time he says something about anything, you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and then yeah. he unpacks it a little bit, and even Scott's like, oh, okay, I, I kind of got where you're coming yeah, from. Yeah, that's classic Jamal. And it's I think it's just his, a tactic um, that's brilliant that he likes to use because he really tries to break people out of their presupposed definitions. Well, when he says, heaven doesn't exist... what Um, yeah you'll have to or he says what's the word there's no such thing as the afterlife (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) love that you put quotes yeah (laughs) unpack oh yeah he that's what it might have been yeah i think that's what it was yeah no such thing as the afterlife yeah Yeah. "Hmm." (laughs) (laughs) but yeah he he intentionally does that because he knows that you know especially in christianity we've we've attached so many different meanings to words that you can have a conversation with someone, be saying the same words, but be thinking completely different things. And so it's mm-hmm. his approach to break down um, some of those areas of miscommunication to really get at the heart of understanding what he's talking about. You know, maybe I should try that because I try asking questions mm-hmm. and then people don't like that. So. <laughs> I love questions. Yeah. But I think I think something that's important with the questions is asking definitions as well, which is something, you know, you guys had started yeah. doing too, but... Yeah, I, well, yeah, I, that's yeah. They didn't like that. Yeah. So. Who's they? <laughs> Y'all. I'm with you. Don't <laughs> you point <two> at me. <laughs> you two guys. Well, when the questions are condescending, yeah, we get upset at that. Jeff, what do you mean by condescending? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you ask that, Jeff? <clears throat> so you go. You're you're doing the publishing. Did we skip over? You mentioned the divorce, and mm. did we skip over how you got to where you are at now, like theologically, how you shifted uh, from, yeah, these labels all fall short, from and they're all... Christian to a yeah, heretic? Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so a question you guys asked on your podcast, why would people call you a heretic, mm. and how did you get there? Well, we've got that question trademarked, so I'm going to have our lawyer reach out to you. <laughs> okay. Well, oh. I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, edit out the F word that you said earlier, too, so we're not explicit every single time. We're not every time. Yeah. I will if you want. Please. No. Okay. Let, I'm going to leave the uh, f- in the... <laughs> but I'll get a beep right in the middle there. Just, just, not just put dookie in there. Just. There you go. Or just, you know, say funk. Okay. You know, re- dub over. <clears throat> uh, you guys, that's what I said. All right. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I think so. The the deconstruction definitely began with the whole institutional church pagan Christianity thing. Uh, I like to say that it was you know I was wearing this sweater and that was the first you know fray that I started pulling at. And once you start pulling on it, suddenly a bunch of other things start unraveling, and you're kind of left naked. <laughs> yeah, and you think you're Lying starting on you're, the floor. I'm yeah. gonna pull this out. <laughs> I'm gonna fix the sweater and just pull a little yeah, bit before yeah. you know it. It's like oh, there's there's a snag here. Let me. Nope. Nope. Uh, yeah. yeah, so that was the that was the first one. I'd say what followed after that was a shift from ECT to annihilationist view, um, and that was actually so hell forever to conditional being, being destroyed. Yeah, yeah, over whatever period of time that is. And that was thanks to John Zenz, um, who had published a book in response to Rob Bell's Love Wins, and that was the first time I I heard a view other than ECT. I just wasn't exposed to it. So I was it's like, a oh, pretty common sense. denominator. The the hell thing. For deconstruction. Yeah, yeah. Well, in my in my mind, I think that's central because 
if the threat of hell, if you believe the threat of hell is real, you are too afraid to ask questions that, that could condemn you to hell. So once you deal with the problem of hell, and if you come to a place where you don't believe hell is what, you know, we, Christianity has said it is for the mm-hmm. past however many hundred years, then I think it frees you up then to explore more and to ask more questions and to deconstruct. But until you deal with that linchpin, I think, I think you're, you're pretty much going to, again, earlier, just rearranging furniture within the house, but the house is still intact. That That's makes sense. sense. That's interesting because that, that, that might be kind of uh, used from the other side as like the, uh, a negative for g- moving away from ECT. Um, where it's like, oh, well, if hell doesn't exist, then yeah, sure. You can believe whatever. You know, like, I mean, you just kind of like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I just think until, because you can come across people who are in a state of quasi-deconstruction, but it's so painful for them because they literally feel like they are going to be burned. In danger, in yeah. Because of their questioning. And so they're left with this dread and fear and anxiety. But I think once once that's off the table, then you know, and you can feel alone too. Totally, like, feel like yeah. Even if you intellectually know that there's other people that have done this, it when you're in the middle of that, it it can feel like you're completely alone, or mm-hmm. that you shouldn't even you shouldn't bring it up. Even if you're not alone, don't bring it up because you're risking exposing yourself to people that are going to disagree or or condemn you. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, and it's usually always the people that are closest to you, which hurts the most. I mean, thankfully in my case, my parents have you know, been super supportive through this whole process. With my dad, we can have conversations and bounce things off each other. So thankfully I haven't experienced what a lot of my friends have where they've just been like cut off and shunned from their family and community. I think one thing that helped with my transition is because it started with a shift away from institutional church, I kind of lost that um, traditional church community. So when I was deconstructing other stuff, I was already in the midst of, you know, an online community and through choir and stuff with other people who were exploring the same space. So I wasn't totally left, you know, like in the Heretic Happy Hour group, we have some folks who post, you know, I'm, I'm part of this church, even part of leadership, and I can't talk openly about what I'm going through. Um, but they do in the group page because it's a safe space. So it's just it's tough to know that some people are kind of stuck in that place. Yeah, that's brutal. Scott, do you need some? What does, some no, what does ECT stand for? Like Eternal you. Conscious Torment. Okay. Uh, so, okay. yeah, the view that you Thanks. you go to hell and you burn forever. Yeah. Basically, yeah. I, I just never heard the acronym. Some of them would say maybe it's not literal fire. <laughs> I'm over here looking it up, and it's all evangelicals and Christ- and Catholics together. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I think it's. I think I'm it's like, been, I don't uh, think that's what it is. <laughs> I think it's been said on the podcast a few times. It has. Just by the time we're getting there, you've tuned out already. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. hey, yeah. I'm gonna own that. Scott said hermeneutics, so I'm going to sleep. <laughs> so, how did you meet your your current wife? Yeah, and final wife. We're assuming Taylor. Yes. Yeah. So we. Uh, so I had gone out uh, because I was part of this exploring this organic church thing. Found out there was going to be a conference in Redlands, which is about an hour and a half from where I live now. So I drove out for the weekend, met this group out there that was hosting a organic church planter, 
and got to be friends with um, some of the folks who were kind of spearheading that group. Were they evangelicals and Catholics together? They were. <laughs> no, they were all uh, they were all younger, you know, younger kids. Just kind of, they had this really interesting, intentional community where it was. I think at the time it was like thirty, thirty college students that were just kind of gathering regularly and doing life together, and you know, in love with Jesus and stuff. So it was it was kind of cool to see them functioning on that level. So hung out for the weekend. Um, to, to hear the, the church planner speak, became friends with them, uh, and then turns out that they had a hot younger sister who <laughs> I discovered on Facebook. So uh, the the uh, older brother, Seth, who I, one of the brothers I became friends with, uh, he said, oh, my sister lives out by you. You know, she should come check out your group. Because at the time I had um, a small group that was quasi-organic at the time. So he's like, oh, my sister should check out your group. You know, you should hit her up sometime. And he and I were friends on Facebook, and I saw a photo that he had posted that she was tagged in. I was like, oh, that's his sister. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So I, I unabashedly Facebook stalked her for a bit, and then we actually met for the first time at a brewery. Um, so her brothers had come down to Bootleggers, and this was still in their original location in Fullerton. I like Bootleggers. Yeah. Knuckle Sandwich, right? It's their big <laughs> Knuckle IPA. Knuckle Sandwich, it was. But the beer that she and I bonded over was Black Phoenix, which is their chocolate chipotle stout. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. It was good. So I saw her walk in the door. I was like, oh, crap, that's her. Time to put my game face on, you know, make sure to look cool. Don't mess anything up. And so I tried to play it aloof and was in line, and she walked up behind me, tapped me on the shoulder, and said, so you know a lot about beer, huh? And I was like, okay, here's my in. So I tried tried to sound eloquent. I don't know if it worked, but, well, obviously it worked. (laughs) So, yeah, we we hung out that night, hit it off, and then I desperately tried to date her, and she kept putting me off, and then uh, finally got her to agree to a a date a month out. Oh. Yeah. And the rest is history. A month out. What was the the significance of the month out? Uh, She was hesitant because I had just gone through a divorce, understandably. Mm. Um, And... uh, you know, she was a beautiful, popular girl who still had other guys who were interested in dating her. And so um, my with the state of California, there's something that I've, I have a hard time with, but it's called the cooling off period when you're going through a divorce. Other states, you file divorce papers and it's finalized. California, there's a six-month cooling off period. So you file, you have to wait six months because a lot of people take divorce flippantly. And so they want to see, is this something you're actually serious about? And then six months after you file, it goes through. And so my actual, like, finalized legal date was right before the date we were supposed to go on. So, Okay. I thought you were going to say it was you were already ready to marry her before the six months was up. You're like, God no. damn it, California. I'm, I'm cold. I'm already cold. <laughs> No, she just wanted to. She just wanted to like dot her eyes and cross her t's. And she seems smart. She's very smart. I've met her a couple times, talked to her a little bit, and just recently she was on Heretic Happy Hour as the she Heretic was, of the yeah. Week, yeah, becoming podcast famous. But she's a <laughs> smart woman. She is, and she's the the other half of choir, the better half of choir. Okay, so you did mention co-owner or co- yeah. co-founder, and that's her. Yep, yep. So it's the two of us, and then we just had our first kid. Uh, in November, which was an accidental home birth, and so that was that was fun. (laughs) Whoa! Okay, we need some towels for the living room here. Oh yeah, Jeff knows all about this, but they do it. We do it on purpose. Oh yeah, yeah. 
I mean, well, they, he doesn't have insurance. <laughs> <laughs> and he has seven, seven children, so they've perfected it by now. Shoot, I didn't Blonde know. hair, blue eyes. Did not know I had seven. So, one, one child. Yes? One child, yeah. Yeah, so far. And a dog, but we all know dogs are just like kids, right, guys? No. No. Mine just pooped on the floor Furry last week. Babies. Your kid or your dog? Yeah, Exactly. My it's dog. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to recall if <laughs> it's ever pooped on the floor. I, I guarantee you, we've told a story about Caleb. Pooping I know I. I know I've pooped on the floor. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> he gets them mixed up. You know, puts them in cages. And I was like, nine I though. I was stuck on second base. I needed to go. I wanted to get home, and I'm like, this isn't gonna work. I had to run up the stairs and just lay them all. Lay so the this is literal down. second base, not a sexual second base. <laughs> <laughs> At nine years old, well, play baseball in the backyard and <laughs> forget it maybe you were forget seeing a, a mature 12 year old i don't know michelle wadley was cute <laughs> do i need to blank that name out <laughs> probably not probably okay it's just your job you take mine out i take your f out <laughs> have you received complaints about the language no Okay. But, but I want my children to listen to this. Okay, okay blank. Okay, take the name. Talk to them I about said. appropriate, <laughs> appropriate f bombs in context. Appropriate f bombs. We were talking about something engaging. Continue. Okay. Okay. So, so children. One yes. child. Yeah. First yeah. child. Boy. Girl. Boy. Name. Leonidas Shai. Wow. Yeah. That's an amazing name. That's so fucking yeah. amazing. Sorry, Jeff. Gosh, uh, darn it. Okay, that was appropriate. Name. So strong. <laughs> so Le- Leonidas means born of the lion or son of the lion. And then Shai is uh, Catalan for lamb. So lion and lamb wow. in a single name. Yeah. Who came up with that? Uh, my wife and I came up with it. Uh, we actually got to travel in Europe for a couple months last year. And so we, while we were there, we like nailed three or four kids' names. We we're just like, all right, we're set. Ready. I want to know what the other options were. Well, I gotta keep them Chuck. close to the chest. So okay, no one, one of them is Dan. <laughs> They're pretty strong. Let me tell you, Bob, Bob, Bobby. So, as a as a gift, a buddy of mine who's a very talented artist um, created a, a tattoo for me, which is what I got on my forearm. But if you can tell, it's a hybrid animal that looks like a lion and a lamb, depending. Yep, on. I see it. So, do you yeah. see it, Scott? I do. I'm not Scott, but I do. <laughs> So I wanted something like that, but part of the difficulty, everything I found, they were always either like the face was cut in half or was two separate mm. entities. And for me, it was like theologically, no, it's one one being, one person, you know, the lion and, and the lamb, not not two sides of the same coin. So he created this like Narnia looking crazy animal. That name that name is in, that's incredible. <laughs> so I do want to hear specifics on the home birth. Oh, man. But like how, well... Maybe not too specific. Yeah, Scott, what's Scott's going here. On? It's going to make Scott stumble. Zach, or whatever. you really want to hear specifics? I'm okay with. Oh, that. you mean because it was not not planned? Yeah, you it, had a. It was a shit show. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> literal? Maybe literally. Sometimes <laughs> that happens, guys. When the ladies are pushing, I'm not at liberty to say. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> just threw up in my mouth. Keep going. Um, I want to ask again about the lion, the lamp, but. Yeah. How you, do you have a birth plan going to yeah. so we, the hospital? We had a doula um, who was like prepping us leading up to it. We had a birth plan, which my wife was so bummed we didn't get to use because like she put emojis. Wait, how old's your child? Uh, two and a half months. Okay, who yeah. was your doula? <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, my wife. It's actually a close, close oh, family okay. friend. Okay, uh, 
but what happened was, so the advice we got from our doula was, um, you know, we didn't want to be the couple that go. So we were we were going to go to Kaiser for the mm-hmm. birth, but have a doula with us. We were going to try and labor at home as long as possible before right. going in. We've heard so many stories of people going too early, and then they get loaded up on drugs to speed up the birth, or they get sent back home, right. or you're just laboring forever. I'm like, okay, we don't want to be those people. Well, we turned out to be the other kind of people. <laughs> so our doula suggested we wait until the contractions were about uh, one to two minutes apart. Holy mackerel. So we double-checked that with our midwife um, and my wife's cousin, who's a labor and delivery nurse. Um, my wife's cousin went in when she was, I think, two to three minutes apart and yeah. was still there for several hours. And we checked with our midwife. She's like, well, it's your first pregnancy. You know, it's probably... Makes sense, because typically your first one takes forever. So we're like, okay, one to two minutes, good. So we had an app, and we start, you know, tracking the uh, contractions, and we check in with our doula, and she's like, you know, you're doing great, you know, check in with me back in an hour. So she was planning on waiting until the contractions got a little closer to come down before helping us. We're tracking, and they never get lower than, you know, three minutes apart or anything like that. And she started laboring at, like, intensely, probably like at two in the morning, and then by four something, she was just like tapped out, which I mean, it's only a couple hours in the scheme of what other women go through in labor. And uh, she had this one really gnarly contraction called a doula. She's like, okay, I'm, I'm heading over. I'll help you guys out. Well, she's about 45 minutes away in San Clemente. And so my wife, you know, goes to this gnarly contraction. She's taking it like a champ. Um, we read the Bradley method. So that's kind of what we were working with. Mm-hmm. So she's like accepting the contractions realizing that they serve a purpose, letting it kind of flow through your body. She's getting in this like squat position to, to go through them. I'm trying to hold her up um, while we're doing it, you know, giving her lots of water and ice chips and all that. And then suddenly this like water balloon looking thing just kind of like pops up. And we're like, oh, what the hell is that? And so it keeps growing and growing. And then at some point we realize, okay, this is the water sack, which even with the water sack, they say once so you didn't break. Well, once the water breaks, they say you want to get to the hospital around 45 minutes to an hour because you don't want to risk infection. But even after the water breaks, it can be right. you know, a couple hours. Right. So the water sack's coming out. I'm like, hey, why don't you sit on the toilet so when this thing finally comes out, it doesn't make a mess. So she's sitting there and waiting for it to detach, and it's like barely hanging on by a thread. I'm like, why the hell is this thing not coming off? I get close up to see what's going on, and I see these black horizontal lines right behind it. I'm like, oh, shit. so i snap a photo i send it to our doula and her cousin the labor and delivery nurse and i say is this crowning and her cousin texts back immediately call 911 and i was like son of a bitch (laughs) it's happening and so was there any part of you that said i got this Um, let's just do this here no no my wife did i mean she was like oh great because in her mind we still had surprise me yeah in her mind we still had like eight hours to go so when she realized oh baby's coming awesome i got this i'm thinking no way in hell yeah i got nobody here (laughs) for support like honey let me throw a couple towels down uh wash your hands you're not even all right if you could just push now (laughs) 42 said (laughs) so it's that easy so luckily her her family that easy so her family lives in Redlands, and so we had called them earlier in the night to give them a heads up to drive out. And we said, "Hey, no pun intended. Heads up, all right? right? <laughs> labor started. Want to give you a head? You know, a chance to get a head start. Um, if we're not headed to the hospital by the time you get here, you can hang out here. Otherwise, I'll meet you at the hospital." Well, they were just kind of hanging in the area. So my wife's cousin, who knew we were crowning, contacted her brother, who is an EMT, and said, "Get to the house. They need you." 
I didn't know this. So I'm calling 911. They're, you know, shouting instructions at me, get her off the toilet and stuff. And so then she goes to the bed. Um, get her off the toilet. Yeah. Don't want to have a toilet, baby. <laughs> so she heads to the bed. It's not uh, worthy of the name Leonidas. Uh, yeah, right? Well, oh, we didn't even know if we were having a boy or a girl. We kept it a oh, surprise. So, yeah. Okay. And so she heads to the bed. She gets on all fours, which is like a natural birthing position. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm ready. Bring this on. But she's, you know, she's totally naked from from laboring. And so her brother comes up and runs upstairs to see his sister, like, just fully naked on all fours on the bed with this little, like, water sack hanging down, screaming. This is fantastic. Poor guy. He's probably scarred to this day. But I'm so glad that he ran up there because I hand him the phone and say, you deal with the paramedics. Let me take care of her. And then they wanted us to get her on her back on the ground, elevate her hips, put her legs together because they wanted to try and stall the delivery as long as possible for the paramedics Uh, to make it. Nope. No way. She was pissed. Yeah. Because as soon as we got her on her back, she had a shooting pain, which I guess on your back is like the worst position to give birth. And mm. so searing pain shoots up her back. She's screaming, this is unnatural. I don't want to do this. But we're like trying to keep it together. And uh, meanwhile, her mom, who was with her brother, um, was stuck in his car downstairs because the passenger door didn't open. So she's freaking out like, I can't miss this. So she manages to get out of the car. She calls the cousin on FaceTime. And so she's running up the stairs, FaceTiming the labor and delivery nurse cousin, and she's trying to diffuse the situation and calm us down. So her mom is shouting, it's okay, it's okay, Jesus is here, Jesus is here. Meanwhile, the cousin and all her coworkers are, are asking, did they name the baby Jesus? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> so I've got her brother shouting instructions from the paramedics on the phone. I've got her mom FaceTiming with a cousin shouting instructions. My wife is screaming. And it's just like chaos in our bedroom. And finally, she's like, forget all you guys. I'm just going to push. So single push, head pops out. Boom. I'm freaking out because I, first of all, I don't hear a scream or cry or anything. I'm like, mm. oh, no. And then baby finally like makes a little squeak. And then I can't remember if head up or head down is the safe way. So yeah. I'm like asking him like, head up, head down, head up, head down. I don't know. And he's like, no, no, down, down. Baby's fine. So baby was head down. And then I'm checking for an umbilical cord, which I have no idea how the hell to check for that. But I'm feeling around. I can't really feel anything. So I think I said, you know, I don't feel a cord. That's all she was waiting to hear. As soon as she heard that, she gave one more push. And he starts flying out. And my brother-in-law's like, catch him. And he just slides right out in my hands. Nice. And I take one look at him. I'm like, it's a boy. And she goes, no, it's not. She... Her internal intuition was that it was a girl this whole time. <laughs> she was like, no, it's not. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure it's a boy. And throw him on her chest so she's holding him. Yeah. And then maybe five, ten minutes later, you know, six paramedics come rushing up in our room to this, like, crazy scenario. You're like, we got it, okay? You yeah. guys can leave. Yeah. So that was, you know, our accidental home birth. Nice. Damn, that's so good. That's just... That's that intense. I imagine that scene, you could make... That's like a sitcom scene or a, <laughs> something from a show. That's That's ridiculous. It, that's amazing. Your wife sounds like oh yeah, she's like I'm gonna okay, I'm doing this. So she thinks for herself a lot. Is that her disposition? Yeah, yeah. But I, I, after the birth, I told her that quote from Three Hundred that only Spartan women can give birth to Spartan men. Mm. <laughs> oh, oh my! That's, so Leonidas was that the name for no matter what you had? No, no. We had a, a different name for a girl. Okay. But, yeah. I'm not going to share that one. Oh. Keeping that one to the chest. It has 23 yeah. syllables, so he's just going to yeah. keep that. It's Arwen. With like four <laughs> silent letters. It's something from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so, yeah. But she had pointy ears. Scott, you can unplug your ears now. He's done talking about the birth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <okay. laughs> Whew.
Oh, so you got you don't know heads up, heads down, because like she's now she's on all fours. You're like, oh, wait, wait. <laughs> so Scott Which, was a medic in the army. Oh, one well. of my biggest dreams was to give, not to give birth, obviously. <laughs> uh, I don't think that's like uh, three or four. Yeah, on the list. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but was to assist in mm-hmm. in that. So hasn't happened yet. No, uh, I'll call you next time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We could have <clears> used a medic. <laughs> Well, it sounds like it was a, even though you didn't get to where you wanted to be with the plan, it sounds like it was amazing. So a metaphor it all for life, out. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just roll with it. Yeah. You can plan and plan, but at the end of the day, you're just on all fours naked. <laughs> with the water sack dangling. With the water sack dangling. And potentially pooping everywhere. Yeah. Potentially. <laughs> but we're, but that's not, we're that not, has not we been. We can neither confirmed nor deny that. Right. Figures Dookie brought that up. <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> need a little more Ralph? Uh, i think I'm, i think we're gonna play softball after this right? we are but it gets the blood going you know yeah it's a mess plus it's cold <laughs> out there <laughs> uh, i don't remember who we're playing yeah you're joining the softball team that's great yeah Love there's that. did you guys ever watch the simpsons episode the softball episode uh, the mcguire not. and canseco yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's, a, there's a brilliant scene before the game they're saying the rules they're like all right so when you round first you have to chug a beer you round second you chug a beer and they're like hey hey, hey I know how to play softball. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I never saw that episode. So good. I don't think I've ever seen a Simpsons episode oh, start I, to finish. I think I've seen maybe seven. I know a lot of references, but not much. Same with Friends and Seinfeld. Never saw either of those. Never seen a Friends episode. No, like, no, until no, my no wife. Never should. Until my wife's like, you have to watch Friends. So we watch the reruns. I guess. Mm. Heck no. I do know the clap. On the on the theme Sorry song. About that. Oh, oh, yeah. Goes, <laughs> I, I do know that's like unnaturally fast. <laughs> that was an awkward pause. Yes, it was. <laughs> We're like, uh, <clears throat> go to Kaiser for that. <laughs> I intimately yeah. know the clap, Scott. <laughs> you're a medic, or were? Can yeah, you verify? Yeah, drop them. Can you see. clap like Actually, that? Actually, that's funny. That true or false is you dealt more with the issues related Ooh, to that than STDs. you did. Uh, well, no, just a few of them. Oh, okay, just a few, maybe, maybe, maybe not that many. So okay. is it once a medic, always a medic? Do you you keep up on your? No, I, no, I it was the army. Stuff. It's not like the marines were they? Bull, that's bull. You wanted to cut things off me last year, two years ago. That was your hemorrhoid. <clears throat> oh no, 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 no. The, yeah, you uh, were on four, all fours. Right, I was like. <laughs> Is that uh, is that something? <laughs> what is that, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> There's some truth to that. You know, I do have like four of the letters. <laughs> Wait that a you second. Wrote me from oh, we're gonna edit all that out. That was Are terrible. We? Yes. I wrote letters. No, when you say yes, I never know because you say yeah. No, when I say no, just keep doing it. We'll talk later. I do have letters from the army from you that really? you wrote. Oh, love letters. Lisa and I. Huh. Because Scott and I go way back, and so this is... Mm-hmm. <laughs> on all fours. On all fours. <laughs> Dude, I'm so sorry. I just, it was teed up too good. <laughs> we'll edit that one out for sure. I don't remember writing those. We'll read them sometime. All right, where were we? I, I know we're, we're wrapping this up pretty soon. But crowning. You might have crowning. read one one time on an episode. No, we talked about it. I read one to you. I don't think it was recorded. Uh, or it might have. It might not not have been put out. Huh. Okay. Raphael, anyway. how long you been married? Yeah. Uh, His friends uh, call him Ralph. 
Ralph, yeah. We're friends now. Rafa. Uh, four years. Four years. Four years now, yeah. Good four years? Awesome four years. Awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. How was, so, you know, shut me up if you need to, but shut how, <laughs> you get married, how long mm. between your actual divorce and when you got married? So, yeah, that's that's what depends on what you consider divorce, right? Going back to defining. Is it when the state decrees it or is it when the covenant's broken? I would say, ooh, okay. So, this is deep. Oh. Um, yeah. When was the covenant broken? And I'm assuming that was before the state declared it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, between that point and when I got remarried was over a year. I think I'm bad with timelines, but yeah. Okay, so over a year. So, so after covenant is broken, from that point, it was like we're we're done in your mind. Is that what's going yeah, on? Yeah, and there's obviously a ton of backstory to it, right? But, yeah, and you can well, share that too, but no, I, I don't I'm, want to talk yeah, about it. Yeah. I, I figured <laughs> it wouldn't be this podcast if I didn't kind of like hint a little bit and see <laughs> see what we're dealing with there. Feel now, covenant layers. broken. So <laughs> I I believe it's Saudi Arabia or Iran. I forget. It's a good segue. Uh, they're now allowing um, you to divorce your wife mm-hmm. if you're Muslim, obviously, uh, via text message. Wow. So before you had to say it three times. Yeah. Uh, but now you could do it over text message. It's very biblical. Yeah. Actually. Well, very. It might be more uh, hadithish. Yeah. Uh, so how? Like when you say breaking covenant, mm-hmm. uh, what? Like what? Do you consider the parameters for that? It's like eating during the day, like yeah. Ramadan. Like bre- like bre- bre- breaking that. fast. Yeah. What? Well, yeah. What is it they say? The the Old Testament rabbis was if she burns the bread or burns the toast, you can. Writer, a decree of divorce. Writer, a, and, a, yeah. a decree. And then send her away. That saith the Lord. Yeah. Was uh, that in the Old Testament, or is that what the rabbis came up that with? That was their interpretation. Uh, so, yeah, the okay. two schools of thought were between what, Shammai and Hillel. That was the debate, which they tried to trap Jesus in during that. Put a little jam on it, and I actually like burnt toast. Oh, well, there you go. So, uh, you don't, though. <laughs> uh, I mean, I could scrape it a little bit. Make, make do. But for yeah. the covenant, that didn't work. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I think probably to answer your question, Scott, uh, I think we would first have to define what is marriage, right? Because at the point that you define what marriage is, then you have a better understanding of what breaks that or what nullifies that covenant, right? Because I, I think a covenant is definitely something you enter into with both parties, but it it requires to be upheld by both parties, right? Um, whereas covenants with Israel, what made them unique is that God said he was upholding both ends of those covenants. But in human covenants, it requires participation of both parties. So if one or both parties, you know, opts out of that covenant or doesn't hold up, you know, their part of it, then it's nullified. Can you read between the lines, Scott? Um... I can't. I choose not to, though. The whole, so, the whole loaf of bread was burnt, Scott. <laughs> oh, no, no. Well, I'll ask no, you. No, like, what, what do you consider? What do you consider marriage? How would you define? Oh no, I just um, no. I mean, if you if you want to leave it there, that's that's honor. Fine. Well, uh, yeah, honor. That's it's a. I'm a legitimate yeah. like legitimately curious question because I think it's it's fascinating yeah. for me at least through my deconstruction. I started to draw a sharp distinction between what the, the state says and what I believe God's intent is. Oh yeah, that's and that's easy. That's 
Yeah, the state the state doesn't matter. Um, as you say far it's as easy. <laughs> I don't know if it's easy for a large majority of well, who people. Cares about, who well, cares I'll, about them? But I'll, I'll tell you the the difficult part as well, someone Finn who might went, be listening. Yeah, someone who huh? went through a divorce. Even if you have all the quote unquote biblical justifications, um, you still end up with kind of a scarlet letter around you. You know, going through that process, mm. yeah. and even though, like I said, covenant was broken because. According to the state, you're still legally married. You know, there's certain you're looked at a certain way. So yeah. there's a lot that goes into it that it's not as cut and dry. Yeah, and it's you know it's I, it's the it's it's a problem of we, when you we talk you know about not wanting to be religious. Okay, well, to some extent that could be uh, a bad thing. Not being religious is a bad thing. Um, to where... And I'd, so I'd be talking about the abuse of entering and exiting covenants. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, from I think from God's perspective, a, a certificate with the state is irrelevant. Um, but... What what that marriage is? Yeah, it's a, it's the commitment of two the, the two people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you would get into okay. Well, does that also include a public um, mm-hmm. pronouncement? Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe some of those I I might not be so. Uh, I I don't maybe I don't have a come to I haven't come to a conclusion on yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Yeah, state, state yeah. taking doesn't matter. And yeah. also the idea of like what makes you'll hear during the gay marriage debate, or even after that, you'll hear people talking about marriage based on biblical p- principles or biblical mm-hmm. marriage. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm finding in my l- a little bit of study post or as I'm reconstructing that biblical marriage meant very different things than <laughs> today. So Scott, what were the couple things you mentioned, like? Uh, commitment. Uh, I don't remember the, the other things. Those are kind of things we do and are familiar with, but that can look different. A biblical marriage, maybe the the woman is well, maybe a girl is twelve, fourteen, mm-hmm. and she's depending on the time. I don't know if it changes over the course of biblical narrative, but basically, she's the property of the father to give away. And and so that's very different than we do it here. We do a version of it when the dad gives the daughter away, which I recently was thinking about that. When my girls get married, I, I almost want to be like, I, I, you were never like, you were mine, but you were never mine in that way. That's like mm. a holdover. It, I'm yeah, almost yeah. uncomfortable with that idea now. Now, if, if they're okay with it, I'm fine with it too. Yeah, but yeah. I, I'm just starting to explore because of my daughter's mm-hmm. The, I have to look up the reference for the the age of uh, like a, when we're talking about a biblical marriage um, that someone that young was actually right. given away. I, I mean, I don't know. Well, I could be. I'm not. I, yeah, it's it's a, a cultural thing. It's it's very well. Away. Yeah, that's God ordained uh, in in that because that's the what biblical means, right? It's not just that it's in the Bible. That's not what is it? Huh. I think I mean just because it's in the Bible does not have the same definition of something that's biblical. I think when people 
typically use that word biblical, right, right. they are saying what God has revealed to us because as, they as think part we get it from practice. Scripture. Yeah, well, that's that's the uh, distinction that needs to be made. Right. They, I'm guessing it's because they think it's from the Bible, and therefore right. it's God-ordained. If it's in the Bible, then it's God-ordained. I think that's probably oh, no, what most I, people are thinking. Uh, well, regardless... Making the distinction between something that God has ordained and something that someone did, I, hmm. I, I, those aren't right. the same things. So even it if they're like both in the Bible... Was that? <laughs> so that sounds like a very progressive answer. Uh-oh. No, this is... This is that's fairly uh, <laughs> orthodox. What do you uh, mean by progressive, Ralph? <laughs> that's fairly orthodox. So, like when, uh, when, when Satan or when the serpent says, "Has has God really said?" We don't go, "Oh, oh, we should, we should do what the serpent did." I mean, we, I mean, we, we don't, we don't like. We, uh, Solomon had many wives. Oh, oh well, we should. We should have many wives. I mean, that's so no, that that's I, a distinction. I, I yeah. totally agree with you, hundred yeah. percent. I think what's interesting is I think there are a lot of progressives who are chastised for carrying that line of thinking to to a further progression. Where if we are looking at Scripture and recognizing that not everything that is contained within Scripture contains God's thoughts, hmm. then at, you know where do you start dividing, or what is your criteria for determining? what within Scripture is God's thoughts and what's not. And I yeah. think there you start seeing a sharp divide between some conservative approaches and some more liberal well, approaches. And, I, and I, would, I would harp on the, the progressives when... The main thing is, is when it, it comes down to the prophets saying, uh, the word of the Lord came to me mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. The, uh, 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 whatever the equivalent of... Hath, uh, the, this is what God says. I, mm-hmm. I forget the phraseology. Um, is when that is um, that the prophets of God are that their words uh, they're speaking the words of God mm-hmm. and saying no those aren't the words that God said mm. so that that's where I would I would they're rightly I think they're rightly criticized in, in that area yeah. so like thinking about um, yeah that going back to the marriage thing. So sex before marriage, that that question, like growing up, mm. don't have sex before you're married. That was like, that's a biblical principle. I haven't seen it in the Bible yet. Like <laughs> I'm just realizing that it's like, uh, I guess for, it was important if you were a virgin and you were the daughter, because there's laws that have, that if if you find out you're, the woman you were given is not a virgin, there's like a, ver- a way to give back that property to the dad, you know, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- biblical marriage is very different and than what we assume it is when people throw biblical marriage. Well, be, I don't remember how we yeah, got on be, this, but... <laughs> it'd be, um, it, it might depend on if you want to say that adultery, one of the Ten Commandments, uh, not, uh, not to commit adultery, but you know, don't commit adultery. Right. Um, if that's limited to marriage, well, I, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, but and I do know like a lot yeah. of the so I would answer that question before you would promote sex before marriage. Or well, I, that's not others. what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> saying, and I'm just you wondering if you can use Amazon Prime when sending the property back to the father. <laughs> There's probably a version of that back then. Now it's probably a little tricky putting somebody in a package. <laughs> probably, probably people being whipped for how could you send your daughter? Yeah, yeah. she was. Yeah, it's just, and also there's punishments Corrupt. for 
for adultery in in the covenant, but they usually don't apply to the men. Like there's stuff yeah. like that that the, the 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 men didn't apply it to the men, right? But but it there's there's it's equal it from God's revelation. It's equal that the punishment is supposed to be oh maybe if you commit that, adultery. That's possible. That's a huge I, distinction. It, it, Not it just is. it's possible. It that's is. a huge distinction because mm-hmm. you're mischaracterizing. You you can easily. Uh, mix those two things up and right. throw out both. It's a good distinction. It's a good distinction. Yeah. Well, what's What's fascinating in that dis- in that discussion is when you look at when Jesus is confronted about you know adultery and divorce, and this the Pharisees say or Jesus says you know Moses allowed for it because of X Y and Z. But you go back to the Old Testament passage and Moses is saying that the Lord commanded this. So now you've got an issue right. where did Moses say it and claimed it was from the Lord? Or did the Lord say it, and now Jesus is changing it? Or you know, and that, that's where right. you get into some of that yeah. tricky distinction between what is God's intent and what has been communicated through human. How much or, of it is human? Yeah. And, right. Or, or the I think the question is, it by Jesus saying Moses commanded it, does that necessarily negate God commanding it? So there, I, I do not think that that's a necessary. But that's different conclusion. than what Ralph just said. No, it, no, it's not. Yeah, because that what you just said is is true. But r- what Ralph is saying in the Old Testament, Moses got it from the Lord, but Jesus changes the way that translation. Well, no, no, happens. that's what I'm saying. That just because Jesus says Moses commanded it or Moses allowed for it does not necessarily negate that God. Even when w- Jesus updates that, like that no, doesn't no, change. Well, it. It's, it's, not, it's not necessarily an update. I, I don't, I wouldn't, I'm, I'm saying not necessarily just for conversation's sake. I, think, I, I, I really think, I really think that he, he he's not updating it. I mean, to be the, the strongest. He's not changing anything. He's not changing it. Uh, it that, that's mentioned a few times. Uh, he, he'll, he'll point to um, saying Moses uh, said it or the, the law you of Moses. You have heard it said. Yeah, the, um, you've heard the prophets say well, that doesn't mean that God wasn't speaking through them. I think it's a little different. Well, Ralph, what do you think? It seems a little bit different than what you were going for, but... Yeah, I think, I mean, if I'm understanding Scott correctly for part of it, is that just because Moses said something doesn't mean that it's not of God still. No, just because Jesus says Moses allowed it or Moses, it's the law of Moses, does not mean that it's not... God speaking through Moses, or Moses speaking God's law, or Correct. speaking so, the words of God. But the point that I was raising was in that passage where Jesus is saying, Moses permitted this, but this was not God's intention from the beginning. I think he's purposely setting up a distinction between what Moses allowed and what God's intention is. And I think he's showing that there's a disconnect there in that particular instance. I agree with you that it's not across the board. Just because Moses said something, or that's attributed to Moses, doesn't mean it wasn't God's intent. But I think the, the specific point Jesus is using in that passage is he's setting up a distinction between, no, this was God's intent, and Moses allowed for it when that's not what God's desire was. Raphael, how do you, how do you come to that, your distinction of, of defining what you've just said? I mean, how, how do you, how are you looking at the Bible there mm-hmm. and... And coming to that conclusion, 
this is where my fascination lies. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you talking about in general? How do you how do you begin no, to decipher it, a word? specifically? That would be hermeneutics. He doesn't want to hear. Hermeneutics. <laughs> That's the word of the day, kids. <laughs> where you, you're you're making the you're saying there's a, the distinction, mm-hmm. almost like. I looked up on Google and this was a fact, but it's not a fact, right? You're making, I mean, in terms of Moses and God and Jesus and Jesus um, making a distinction. At one point you said, you know, it's kind of um, showing that there was this disconnect. You used that word. Mm -hmm. How do you come to that conclusion? Um, Well, I hesitate to use the phrase the Bible clearly says, because I'm not sure that it clearly says a lot that we think it does. But if you read the passage that I'm referring to, and I wish I had it open in front of me because my memory is, I think Scott's looking it up. Um, The Pharisees are challenging Jesus uh, on his views on marriage and divorce, and I think adultery. And Jesus says something to the effect of, Moses allowed X, Y, and Z. So Jesus is quoting something from the Old Testament. When you go back to the Old Testament passage that he's quoting, it says, thus says the Lord, something to that effect. So in the Old Testament, this saying is attributed to the Lord. In the New Testament, Jesus is saying, this saying is attributed to Moses. And then Jesus goes on to make the distinction that says, this is what Moses said, but this was God's desire. So he, Mm. I believe in the text itself, is making a distinction between the two. And for me, I think that's fascinating to recognize that something that Scott said, and I'm sure he won't appreciate the way I'm extending this, but nope. <laughs> but the the essence is just because something is said in Scripture does not necessarily mean that it represents God's intent. Mm-hmm. And the challenge as Christians, as we're rightly dividing, you know, the Word of Truth and, and studying Scripture, is to determine and distinguish what of this is of God. What of it is man's thoughts and mm-hmm. culture um, imposing things on God? Is it possible that some things that were said to be of God were not representing God? In a, I don't know, in another example, how would you, so say there's an extremist terrorist who says God told them X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. right. and yet you have Old Testament prophets that say God told commanded this genocide. Right. And you have someone else says that. How do you distinguish which one was the true God? Or if they heard yeah. correctly from God? Or how can you say this is not from God, this one is? And it, there's no easy answer to it, but I think that starts to, you know, develop those questions. Yeah, and I, I well, I, I think that the Thank parts you. that um, are not from God are, are clearly marked um, where it's, it's one king doing something, uh, the, the nation of Israel worshiping Baal, uh, worshiping the golden calf, that, things like that. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not, uh, I, I don't think that it opens up to where the prophets of God, where if, they, uh, if they're wrong about God, they attribute to God something that God did not say or attribute to him something that he did not do, uh, that there are false prophets and they, they're condemned to death. And that was that was that was the sentence. That's the judgment. Um, That's kind of why they wanted Jesus dead. Maybe, maybe. No, they wanted Jesus dead because he was claimed to be God. 
I think. I think that was the okay. main the main reason. Um, but the the parts that I think where the progressives and the maybe conservatives, uh, theologically speaking, uh, depart is that it, I think what you're saying it that just allow just saying well not everything in the Bible is uh, of God that opens it up to anything is um, any anything could could be not from God then in the Bible. Uh, but I, I, I think that I think it's limited. It's limited to um, the parts the parts that are fairly clear where where people are going against what God has commanded. Uh, well, I think I I appreciate that, Scott, and I, I wish we had a lot more time because Don't it, cut me off, Zach. The, the difference <laughs> is actually that one time I let you finish your thought. Your tone went down end. Uh too bad you're not an up talker. <laughs> you know, we'd never know. <laughs> but because that's so good, that, like, what? How much does God allow? Like, the is it verbal plenary inspiration? Is that the correct term? Where basically the view mm-hmm. that God told them word for word what to write. Mm-hmm. You go from that to like a wide range of views on mm-hmm. how human the Bible is. Um, that's a that's such a good discussion that we can't do now. But that's sure. where this disconnect yeah. comes. Well, it's not, sure. and it's not one or the other. I don't, anyone who claims it's one or the other is is mistaken. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a, a spectrum. Mix because when it For says, uh, when, yeah, when, I was God tell, with you. when God God tells Moses write this down like this, like the Ten Commandments. Uh, I mean that that's distinct. Or say this. I mean there there are some parts right. that are plen- plenary, um, but so other you're parts less open are, to viewing the specific passage. In the way that uh, Ralph was attributing it, like where Jesus was was changing it, and it was a difference, and he's kind of hinting at, well, this is kind of yeah, what Moses said. I have said. to find that because the one it's okay that you're different. I'm, I'm the one I looked up. Um, uh, so Mark ten, and it's also in Matthew. It says some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce his a wife. And he answered and said to them, "What did Moses command you?" They said, "Moses permitted." a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. But Jesus said to them, because of your hardness, he wrote uh, you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. I think the one in Matthew says, um, for it was... uh, No, it says the same thing. Uh, Oh, yeah. Because of your yeah, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. So Moses permitted, mm-hmm. and then if you go back, it says that uh, God permitted or God uh, gave him this. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Let's see if I can get that cross. Because of the hardness of your heart. Because of the hardness of yeah, their heart. Because they wanted uh, they wanted to divorce their wives, mm-hmm. and really. I mean, and this is not answering, or it's not really getting into the question of God or or mm-hmm. Moses saying it, but it's it's to actually protect, to help out the women because the yeah. men could just divorce their wives, but legally the women are still married, so they couldn't get married again. Mm-hmm. So they would give them a certificate of divorce, saying the men is sa- the man is saying I'm divorcing you. Now the woman has proof, mm-hmm. and now she can go get married again. Yeah. Or the men would come back and reclaim their wife if she came into a fortune or something. So yeah, the, yeah. the purpose of that was mm. very progressive in terms of women's rights, for mm. sure. Yeah. Okay, so 
Uh, this is unfortunate. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go play softball, but I'm gonna look. <laughs> yeah, I'm what's look unfortunate about having to go play softball on Monday night? Ending we'll it, it ending softball. it right here. <laughs> Where, how we got into this, I'm remembering now is. Um, the breaking of the covenant to mm-hmm. when you, you're getting remarried was a little bit over a year. Mm-hmm. And I, we're not going to do this justice. Maybe we should do it another time. But I'm just curious, that process of healing and how mm. I'm guessing your your wife played a large part in you being healed from your, uh, your previous wife. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is the first place I'll say it, but I'm actually working on a book that deals with some of this story. Um, but in a really, really quick, um, aspect, the way I like to describe it is pharmacon, uh, which is the Greek word that we get pharmacy from. Um, pharmacon is interesting because it can mean either the poison or the cure. And I believe that people are the pharmacon where people are the agent of pain and strife in our lives, but they are also used by God as the agent of healing. Mostly mm. poison. Mostly poison. <laughs> So I disagree. Yeah, so definitely you there was an aspect of me that was, I believe, I received some unilateral healing from God, but there was still a portion of my healing that required relationship. And thankfully with Taylor, she provided the healing that I needed in that in those respects. So yeah, she is absolutely an agent of that. Yeah. That's so good. I appreciate you sharing it, yeah. getting, getting personal, especially about the birth stuff. <laughs> I know she might kill me for that one, but yeah, that was definitely, <laughs> Love you, babe. That was TMI. <laughs> oh man, that's so good. Um, now, quickly, uh, mm-hmm. what was your what, who's your favorite author that you published? Oh, why do you have to make me choose? And what's your least favorite book? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? There's no. You don't have to answer that. I just had to ask. <laughs> no, I, what's funny? I mean, it may sound cheesy, but it. It is kind of like a don't make me choose between my children thing because because we're so selective about the books we publish, there is absolutely something about each book that I fell in love with and that I was super excited about. Right. So I could, you know, I could point out what it is for each book that holds a special place in my heart. But uh, I'm interested in general. I'm proud of, you know, what we've put out and especially the community behind the scenes of our authors. Uh, what's been rad to see is because they tend to be misfits and kind of on the outskirts of their communities. Mm-hmm. Um, they've really found some camaraderie with each other and willing to help each other and help refine each other's work. And so it's kind of formed this little, you know, choir artist community where they know it's it's a safe place to explore these ideas and, you know, get feedback and insight from each other. That's, that's awesome. Also, um, you mentioned the house church community. I want to talk about that more another time. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm I'm interested in like how that works and stuff, but the way you describe it sounds perfect. It's almost communal. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no hierarchy, but mm-hmm. how how does it not devolve into one man being the leader that has sex with all the women? Because that's the way it seems like it goes oh, most of the time. What you zap? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as as uh, Creed Bratton from The Office said, it's it's more fun as a follower, but you make more money as a leader. So. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> all right. You're entering the kingdom of heaven through the gates, and mm. you get to be ex- escorted into the gates of, I said kingdom of heaven, the new Jerusalem. Mm. Let's just go with that. Mm. You're walking in. What's the walk-in music as you enter, and who's on your arm, living or dead? I will rock! And, not, <laughs> and you can't say your wife. Ah, damn it. Come on. So let's just say you were going to say your wife. I who, was going to say Who in wife. addition? I don't blame you after all that. 
Um, well, my walk-up song would probably be How You Like Me Now by The Heavy. Because that song just always gets me hyped. Um, who would be walking in with me? Can only pick one person? How about one for each arm? Oh, one for each arm. That's weird. That's weird. I love it. <laughs> uh, dang, I'm going to have to think about that one more. Epic fail. This is like, you're, yeah, you're going to have to edit this one in later. Uh, so Sean Hannity. Well, obviously. Rush Limbaugh <laughs> on my right. That's and, awesome. And maybe some... Yeah, like Bill a, Maher on my left. Oh, I was going to say Rachel Maddow, but Bill Maher would be wow. appropriate. A war. <laughs> uh, no, I'd probably, I'd probably have to say probably my parents. Um, okay. Yeah. My left and right. Yeah. Uh, a brief reason? Other than you like them a lot? Love them a lot. Um, I, I was trying to think like who has shaped me more than anyone in over my life, and I'd, I'd have to say it was them, so... I think it, you know if I am crossing the finish line, it would be a huge thanks to them. So. All right, well, uh, give us the details of all you know the Patreon, the Choir dot com. Yeah, so all that stuff. yeah, so if you guys want to listen, if your audience wants to listen to Heresy uh, Unfiltered, go to heretichappyhour.com. dot com. That's the podcast we produce. Uh, and then also check out choir, Q-U-O-I-R.com. Um, and the name comes from two words that are spelled differently but are pronounced the same. So choir, like a church choir like you're familiar with, but then there's Q-U-I-R-E, which is a bundling of pages within a book. So both concepts kind of mean the similar thing, that it's the many and the one. But we mash them together to make a, a new word. As you do with your son's name. As I do with my son's name. Mm. Yep, a little lion. God dang, that name. <laughs> we never went back to Lion and the Lamb. We'll do that in oh, a different right. time. I totally screwed up my kids' names now that I think about it. <laughs> Make sure they start with the same sound. Which car are you? Hey, we love you all, kids. Hugs and kisses. All right. Go thanks. to bed. Thanks, Ralph. Uh, thank you. Really guys. appreciate this you. Fun. Yeah, this was fun. Thank you, Raphael. All right. Let's go hit some balls. Wax some balls, but I don't want you to have to edit that out. Dang it, now I do. <laughs> hey, where's my chair? What's that? Where's my chair here? <laughs> hey, Scott, don't leave without taking your pagan chair. <laughs>